Hare Krishna, everyone. Uh, this is Kishore Chandra, and we are here for chit chat, and um, and that's what we're doing, as we do every night at six p.m. Eastern Time. We sign on, and we talk about spiritual things and topics, um, societal topics as well. Sometimes we veer into the political. But we somehow or another, uh, thankfully, make it back to Krishna and Shastra, and um, we try to keep that at the center of our conversations, of our chats. Welcome, Gerald. Welcome, Ani Blue Skies. Welcome, Kavi. Welcome, Geneva. Welcome, everyone. Um, yes. Oh, Jai is here. Welcome, Jai. Is here. Hmm. Hari. What's up? I'm having a good day. I, I almost don't want to say that out loud. <laughs> like it's just, ew. I'm having an okay day. Why is that? Um, I ate something at a restaurant on Saturday in Manhattan. And it didn't make me feel so well, and uh, now I feel better. So just like that. That doesn't make any sense, but okay. Why? Why doesn't that make any sense? You're having a good day because you recovered from eating at a bad restaurant, or? Well, you know how it is when your like body is suffering, when you're like going through it, trying to trying to like show up to your responsibilities takes an extra of energy when mm -hmm. so well show up to your japa yeah. anything it's like it takes a lot more effort like i didn't want to just like skirt on responsibilities because i have a tendency to do that just being so today i actually felt like i can show up like you know just barely hold it together i had like a nice long japa that like full and not you know half not feeling well, like, how goes, how goes, like, this. like, you know, it was invigorating. It was like this. That's so you had a good day because you were able to do your responsibilities responsibly. Yes, I was able to do my responsibility. That makes a lot more sense than I went to a restaurant on Saturday and <laughs> it's three days later and I, which didn't make any sense. Okay, anyway, nice. Anyway, um, I have something that I want to talk about today. Okay, let's hear it. So, so, our various, you might have no idea about this. You probably don't know anything about this because you're not involved in, the, in, the, in that like yoga, you know, kind of yoga asan, yoga studio kind of world. But there are various um, yoga owners, yoga studio owners um, that are currently being like dragged very badly. <laughs> I'm not laughing. You're not? And I ha I've been having like a mixed reaction about it because they're, they're people that I know. And uh, I was feeling, I think the first thing that I felt was very grateful 
um, for Bhakti and for Krishna and for our community and for Srila Prabhupada and for our lineage. Because something that really, you know, I met the devotees before I became like a yoga teacher, but I didn't start taking devotional life seriously until like right after I became a yoga teacher. It was like, it was kind of at the same time, actually. But there was a brief period where I was more into like, I'm a yoga teacher, you know, like this. And, you know, I don't want to make this, I don't want to be too long about it. But essentially, I was feeling very grateful to Srila Prabhupada. I was feeling grateful to our lineage because something that really made me feel um, good about bhakti was that, you know, this is a parampara. This is a lineage that we can trace back all the way to Krishna. And we're really listening to Bhagavad Gita as it is. It's not some impersonal kind of, take on it it's not some like you know whatever like this and so the more and more i it happened very quickly the more and more i uh started having faith and strength in my in krishna and my studies having good this any kind of like nonsense yoga or kind of maybe not nonsense is the right word but like half-baked kind of ideas in like the yoga world i quickly had like a very um, grounding in philosophy, like in real philosophy and real Shastra. So personally, I never really felt like the the strong bite of feeling like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not representing. I mean, I think we all feel that sometimes, that phonyism or that like not being able to represent as well can. But I, you know, let's just, I'll end it on a, on, a, on a cute note. I just remember the first time I took you to one of the studios and like we were going to a kirtan there <laughs> and you, your reaction was very funny, very funny. And, uh, and I remember we went there a couple of times and, and it was interesting to see your reaction and I'm interested to see what you have to say about all this because basically I just listened to a podcast called Yoga is Dead, and it was very interesting. And it was basically these two Indian-bodied women speaking about kind of how, like, yoga, asana, and, like, kind of, you know, fit body culture, and, like, this kind of thing has very much, like, I don't want to use the word appropriated, even though they use that word, but I don't want to use that word. I want to say more like it's detracted from people really investigating in like, what is the real yoga? Like, it was actually a very nice episode. They were they were saying like, well, why aren't they talking about Bhagavad Gita? Or like, why aren't they this? Or why aren't they that? And they were like writing letters to studio owners saying like, why can't you talk about this? You know, I've been in many studios where I've been told not to ohm or not to talk about Bhagavad Gita, or not to talk about Krishna, or not to do kirtan. And I remember like, I had to make quite a decision for myself in my yoga career to be like, okay, no, you know, I don't want to teach there if you're going to tell me not to om or tell me not to talk about Krishna. So I'm going to go somewhere else. But a lot of people have fallen into that where they're just like, okay, yeah, I won't do it, you know, like this or whatever. So anyway, so anyway, back to the, to the context. Now there's a yoga studio various yoga studio owners but one in particular that i know is very much being dragged and this and whatever and the contention that i'm having and this is to bring it into the political sphere um the contention that i'm having is that it, like internally is that i feel like 
you know, we've been talking a lot about change and self-reform and self-transformation and like this, and how many of us are ready to do the difficult work of changing internally. And so when there's one person who's like really, you know, made some quote unquote missteps, it really becomes, it really becomes, I mean, what I'm watching, I told, you know, this has to do with like whiteness and the whole Black Lives Matter movement. I don't want to get into that right now because we've talked about that a lot. But I'll just tell you something. I told one of my other friends who's a person of color, I texted him, I was just like, it's really interesting to see people that are dragging people are other white people. Like all the people of color and the black people, whatever, you know, like it is. And so for me, like there's a little bit of scapegoatism, scapegoatism. Uh, a new one. Okay. A new one, like going on and just that lack of personal responsibility of saying like, no, I do this too. Or no, I haven't investigated enough like this too. And for me, it really hit a personal chord because I remember there was a moment where I was like, let go of teaching at a certain yoga studio because I took my bhakti too seriously, you know? Or like, because I decided to move into ashram like this. And so it's, so yeah, so I kind of wanted to bring that up because it's, it's in my mind right now about how we are, how we are uh, representing yoga, how we are representing our lineage. And is it our responsibility as bhaktas, as, as, people who are trying to be devotees in ISKCON to, you know, whatever, ISKCON or, you know, Hare Krishnas, et cetera. Is it our responsibility to, I don't know, have anything to do with that other world that seems so foreign, you know? Like, I remember bringing you to the yoga studio and you were like, whoa, what's this? You know, it's very foreign. Well, I think for starters, I think it's great that these teachers are being called out for being um, inauthentic. Yeah. I think the criticism of cultural appropriation precisely pertains to these types of persons who have basically taken uh, an aspect of a particular culture and branded it yes. so that it can make them money and get them perhaps fame and popularity. And it was very divorced from the actual purpose and even real understanding of the metaphysics that underpin that particular aspect of the culture. We're talking about yoga here specifically. And so for for them to be called out for branding, you know, branding this aspect of the culture, um, divorcing it of its real purpose and meaning and metaphysics, just so you can make money and get fame. I think it's great that those people get called out. Mm. Um, how much that's going to actually change the industry itself, which tends to be devoid of any heart and empathy because they only care about money. That is yet to be seen, but yeah, the only way, unless unless we are held accountable, mm. then the general tendency is to be irresponsible. The mm. tendency is to uh, our the nature of the jiva of the conditioned soul is to consume. In one mm. word, and if there were no boundaries put around the tendency for consumption, boundaries which are reinforced by certain social. Um, uh, by sort of social, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like constructs, social constructs. Yes, boundaries that are reinforced by certain social constructs that are followed by you know the society. Then the ten the consuming tendency of the jiva will be to just go on consuming without any boundaries mm -hmm. until we finally just destroy each other. Um, so this destruction happen is happening on kind of somewhat subtle, not so subtle levels in the form of 
taking a particular culture and branding it so you can make money. That's a sort of consumption. Mm. And uh, you kind of digest, you know, it's like the process of digestion. You eat something and then the body will um, take the parts that it needs and then it will evacuate the rest. So similarly, these groups have taken a culture, mm. digested, you know, taken the parts that they want and that they can be exploited and have done away with the rest. Mm. And to be called out by that is great. Like, otherwise, how will we be held responsible? There's basically mm. my general observation just in life on a personal level and also vicariously living in community. There can be no responsibility unless there's accountability. Unless mm. there are consequences for certain actions and we're held accountable to that, there is no question of people being responsible. This is one of our pet peeves in some of the organizational aspects at Bhakti Center at one point. You know, and I, oftentimes when we would have meetings, I was the one that was always bringing it up. Like, if this doesn't happen, what's the punishment? And, you know, leadership was like trying to get around that sort of model of thinking. And I was like insisting that unless I'm made aware of what the consequence is of, certain, of a certain impropriety, I'm going to continue to be irresponsible. Not like on principle, but that's just like the nature of things. Unless people mm. are unless there are consequences for something, then I will, you know, continue to perform irresponsible activity. So I think mm. on that level, it's great that these people are getting, these sorts of people who do like that get called out for cultural appropriation. I think such a term is a right term in that particular instance or instances. Um, because the cultural appropriation point has been one of the big talking points in recent times over the last few years. Uh, it's, it's one of those terms that um, can have the fault of blanketism. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking specifically of when Viva Cultura, so Viva Cultura is a performing arts, basically company of sorts, um, inspired by and traveling with Indra Swami. So they're mostly the actors and dancers and martial artists and so on. They're largely of um, Eastern European descent. Mm -hmm. And they come from Hare Krishna parents whose, whose sacrifices to be Hare Krishna are profound. Um, there's that book, Salted Bread, which speaks of the sort of sacrifices they had to undergo and a, 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 a communist Russia at the time and, and so on. So they're growing up, they have that background, they're, Full, full on Hare Krishnas, fully dedicated to cultivation of Hare Krishna culture. So was it last year or a year and a half ago or so, this Viva Cultura group, they travel around the world doing their performance. And mm -hmm. they came to a particular university somewhere on the yeah. east coast of New York. Yeah. So then they, they did their performance and a girl, they were at, a, at an event called maybe Indian... It was the term Indian was used, which is like a very broad term that Viva Cultura was using, like Indian spirituality and arts or something. But it was specifically Hare Krishna. So mm. the there was the girl who was the president or vice president of the South Asian club. She took issue with the fact that they were representing Indian culture, but they were all of Eastern European descent. And so the the, the yeah. essence of the accusation was cultural appropriation. You know, here are these white mm. people coming in and just trying to uh, whitewash the, the culture that is 
truly belongs to brown people. Now, obviously, mm. her definition of Hinduism seemed to pertain to race, which literally has nothing to do with Hinduism. Um, you know, there can be, there, not that there can be, but there are Hindus all over the world from all sorts of demographics and not just of one racial group. So her accusation was kind of conflating race with, um, conflating race with Hinduism. Yeah. And she was accusing Viva Couture of being cultural appropriators, which wasn't a very fair accusation because they weren't, at worst, they're cultural appreciators mm. um, because they're trying to represent a particular aspect of the culture authentically. But they're not even cultural appreciators. They're like actually Hare Krishnas. They're like actual Hindus. Yeah. But by, you know, of course, the word Hinduism, that's a word that has to have its own chit chat. It's a very... The word Hinduism is a, a rubric term which can practically include Christianity, to be real, but it's, it's, a, it's a term that's not very clearly defined, but mm. generally tends to um, refer to all the sorts of spiritualities that come out of the, mostly the Indian subcontinent. Mm. Um, anyway, so Hare Krishna is one of those spiritualities that comes out of that, so it counts as also Hinduism. These are authentic Hare Krishna, so therefore they are authentic Hindus. They are not cultural appropriators or cultural appreciators. In fact, they probably practice more Hinduism than this girl who was making the accusation. I, I would be willing to put money on that. Mm. Um, but we saw that because of the accusation itself coming from a you know, South Asian girl, she was the head of the um, South Asian club there. Then immediately the president of the club that hosted Viva Couture and the faculty both of which are required to have a club, they immediately resigned because they didn't want that demerit on their, you know, on their yeah. record. So they immediately resigned. And the club was disbanded immediately, a club that had been there for, I don't know, seven plus years or something like that. So then you see that um, although the cultural appropriation accusation works well in one instance, it's one of those things that when one is on high passion, then they tend to get into blanketisms and they don't really take into, you know, maybe they don't always take into consideration, wait, are these people actually appropriating the culture or are they living it authentically? Um, and so you end up calling out people that don't deserve to be called out, so to speak. And mm. um, it becomes something of a witch hunt. So now no one, yes. you know, white can do this thing because that would be cultural appropriation. No one white can wear braids, for example, because that's cultural appropriation. What if this white person grew up in the hood? There are plenty of such persons. They grew up in the hood. And for them, that's very much their culture. That's what they grew up around. Maybe hip-hop music, baggy clothes, braids, perhaps, just for just being stereotypical. Maybe that's actually their culture. So they're not appropriate. That's just you know how they grew up. That's the culture that they know. And yeah. you just kind of go on this witch hunt, no, you white, therefore it's cultural appropriation or whatever it might be. So <laughs> it, it becomes one of those things. It's like the Me Too movement. Mm. So when the Me Too movement came, you know, started, hashtag Me Too, it was like a really, you know, it's, you know, prima facie, it's like, that's a wonderful thing. People should be called out. They should be held responsible. But when what started to happen is that plenty of women who themselves were very irresponsible were also saying hashtag Me Too you know, over some BS, mm. you know, and then there was this thing at one point last year, I think, hashtag um, just believe or something like that. 
in regards to women telling their stories of sexual assault. Like, mm -hmm. just believe, like, you shouldn't question that. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that women are humans, too, and they have human frailties, and they sometimes lie, mm -hmm. especially if it comes to certain persons with positions of power or influence and so on. Or maybe they're just in a really bad relationship. The guy broke up with them. They want to get back at them, so they just tell a lie. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it's like these things that are informed by so much passion that logic becomes completely... If logic is not allowed to enter into the conversation, logic and reason and discernment, that's not allowed to enter into the discussion. It's just like high passion, high passion, high, mm -hmm. you know, just like with the Black Lives Matter thing. You know, everyone's like, police are killing black people. Everyone should be on, jump into Black Lives Matter. Now, Black Lives Matter as a rubric by itself is something I can agree with. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, no doubt. But Black Lives Matter organization, I need to find out something about you first if I'm going to jump on board. I can't just say, okay, because I agree with Black Lives Matter, that means I agree with your organization. I got to, like, take my time, study what your organization is about, see if I can be on board with those ideas. You know, because what's presented to me is police are killing Black people, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, you should join the organization, which, okay, that kind of makes sense. But then when you go to their actual web page and see what's on their site, they, they're about a lot of different things that don't seem to really connect to the idea of Black Lives Matter by itself. So mm -hmm. then, you know, leaves you in doubt. But no, you're not allowed to, like, pause and think and consider. You just, you know, have to just believe. Mm -hmm. Just accept, you know. And um, so it becomes, yeah, it becomes so like that. The cultural appropriation thing becomes also similarly so then now they're calling out all these you know yoga owners and so on who are probably culturally appropriating to be real but then there are maybe genuine ones who are actually following the culture they mm -hmm. live that life more authentically perhaps than even most brown people in india and um they're also going to get called out unless they're of a certain demographic and then if it just becomes unfair it becomes a witch hunt Mm. And I see, yeah, I see a lot of the social movements like that because of social media, things very quickly turn to witch hunts. Yes. And now, and, and now before it's like, you know, okay, someone was a victim of racism and now I'm looking for racism in everything. Now I'm looking for cultural appropriation and every video that I see if someone is of this demographic doing black music, they don't have the right to sing that because that's cultural appropriation. They can't wear that because that's, you know, there was during the, with the cultural appropriation thing, there was this whole time where you couldn't even wear certain like costumes for Halloween because that was cultural appropriation. Mm. So then everything becomes a witch hunt and you can't, yeah, then you can't do anything. And mm. logic and reason, these things are not allowed to enter into the conversation. So I think it's good that people, that we should be held accountable. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, too many of us don't have enough emotional sovereignty to um, to hold people accountable dispassionately. Mm. And so everything turns into a witch hunt very fast and it becomes a complete shit show and it's just like, you know, whatever. Yeah, I know, that's kind of what I was, you put it into much better language um, than what I was saying. That, that, that tension between like, yes, I should hold accountable because you probably are culturally appropriating or whatever, bad business practices, et cetera, fill in the blank. However, I, you know, I also 
don't want it to turn into a witch hunt where, you know, the sheeple, the masses are just like, get them. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that's not what I said. Like, hold up, you know? And I think, <laughs> I think something really interesting because you spoke so much about um, authenticity is that someone who's really living an authentic life and really sincere, that person is not afraid of being accountable. Right, right. Like, and it's like, you know, I think that someone who is very sincere about their spiritual life and what they're doing and the choices and the decisions that they're making in life, how they act, how they behave with other people, how other people view them, etc. It's like, there should be no question about holding that kind of, about, you know, that person being okay with being held accountable. Because right. a lot a lot of what's unfortunately happening in this specific situation that I'm talking about, but with any situation, is that high passions, like you said, passions run high, and people get really defensive, real, <laughs> real defensive, real quick. You know, it's like, um, you're culturally appropriate. No, I'm not. <laughs> There's so many excuses, so many reasons. Uh, excuses, I think, is the right, you know, word of like, well, I did this because of this, or this happened because of this, or da 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 da. -da. And I remember, you know, I think this is one of Raghunath's. Uh, he has the six pillars of Bhakti thing that he does, which is really beautiful. If you've never heard of it, go go find Raghunath and, you know, catch his feet. Um, but he says something along the lines of like, I will take no offense and I will ask for forgiveness. You know, like this one of his principles. I will take no offense and I will ask for forgiveness. And I remember the first time hearing that when he was talking. And if you know Raghunath, he's very, he's very uh, you know, ecstatic and always just like really loud in a good way. But he was just saying, you know, I take no offense. He's just like, everyone is taking offense at any at anything, any single thing all the time. And yes. always like saying that, like, you know, in New York City specifically, like just think about and in any place for that matter, but in New York City probably easier. Just think about how easy it is to start a fight with someone on the street. <laughs> like you could get into a fight in a split second. You just get on the wrong look, like, you know, you don't even realize what you're doing. Like, Yo. You know, right, right. looking at me like that. And it's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> right. And then the and then the next part of it, and I ask for forgiveness. So it's like, how often do we do that? You know, how often do we say like, this is, this is how I contributed to the problem. You know, I remember when I was going through a situation with a devotee friend and it was really difficult for me. And, you know, because I, I felt like I was the one being wronged. Right. Like they they were doing it to me. Right. A lot of these cultural appropriation things that can come out like this. It's easier to turn the the I don't know. I'm thinking of a weapon, the sword, whatever. You know, it's easier to turn the fight against the, uh, one person and turn it into a witch hunt. The torch. That's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. To just like light the fire and be like, let him burn. Like, yeah, get him. It's easier to do that than to have like an open, meaningful conversation about these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. and, Remember when I was doing, I remember, you know, I think I've mentioned this on Chit Chat, but I used to do theater work like a long time ago in South America. And it was like, it wasn't like just acting theater work. It was like political theater work and like, you know, solving problems in community via theater. Anyway, it's this whole theory. We don't need to get it. But I remember like asking my teachers, I was like, because the theater is called Theater of the Oppressed. But, oh, right, right, right. Yes. And I remember asking my teachers, I'm like, well, what about the like oppressors like what about them you know not that i'm siding with them but like 
what about them? And they're like, well, in this theory, we're not interested in them. You know, like they can, they can go figure it out on their own. But right now we're only dealing with oppressed parties and, you know, their, their situation. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense, you know, at the time. But I've always wondered about that because now we're in a position where, you know, we have megalomaniacs in office, you know, sorry for my political views, everyone. Um, but like, we have situations on both ends. Okay, be well-rounded. We have situations on both political yes. areas where people are just, we have leaders that perhaps aren't the most in control of themselves, you know? Yes. And they don't have that emotional sovereignty. Let's put it that way. So when I'm turning something into a witch, whether it be something like this yoga studio situation or whether it be in a political situation, demonizing, I always find that like demonizing the other side I don't know. It, ha it seems it seems to have repercussions. It seems to have of course. a lot of consequences of uh, of what we're living right now. And but then this is a question that I have for you because I want to make I want to bring it back to the spiritual. So one of the one of the ten offenses to the holy name is to instruct to instruct faithless people on the strength of chanting the holy name. And I've always wondered about this instruction about this you know offense because. I always wondered, like, going back to the yoga studio format, you know, like, I always wondered, like, how much was too much or, like, how much association I I should give or should withhold or, like, when is this turning into, like, I'm trying to, like, push my bhakti and Krishna down people's throats or I'm kind of just, or am I too detached and not doing my preaching work? Enough? Yes. And I specifically struggled with this one because I remember someone asked me to go distribute books once. Twice. Yes. And I was like <laughs> <laughs> Well that's that's get into it tomorrow because I have yeah. my sound bath class right now. Is it Wednesday? It is Wednesday. Okay, let's get my let's, students are already there. Okay. Let's remember that question of offense of the holy name. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Jai. Thank y'all for Thank you everyone. Thank you, Jaya. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.